Hey, what's up there, metalheads? This is Vinny DiBianca from Vicious Circle out of New Jersey, and you're experiencing Poppet's Corner. What's going on, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Poppet's Corner. Thoroughly excited, as always, to be doing this. And, uh, of course, I got on uh, a kind of uh, a new venture for me. I'm not well, kind of well-versed, I guess, in the melodic metal side of things, but I'd like to bring on Mr. William Walker of the, uh, the band Grave Shadow. William, how are you doing, man? Thanks again for coming on and hanging. I appreciate a moment of your time. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. Um, it's good to be here, doing well. And, yeah, like I say, it's just it's happy to be here and, uh, you know, kind of talk music with you for a bit. I love it, man. Yeah, music is is what uh, is what is everything in my yeah. life. So I'm assuming it's the same for you and all, all musicians out there. Now I'm, I'm generally curious right off the bat. Let's, let's just get right into the new record, right? The, uh, the uncertain hour here. And uh, where I kind of like to start with these things is I'm just going to talk about the album cover and just walk me through, first of all, who did this specific cover? Yeah, um, I feel really bad because I, I do not remember his last name. I think it was Roman Ismailov. I'm probably butchering that. And I, Roman, if you're watching this, I apologize. Uh, but he's also done artwork for uh, Battle Beast and Beast in Black, which Aaron, our lead guitar player, and I, those are two bands uh, that we both really enjoy. And when we saw that he was going to be available to do the artwork, it was kind of something that we wanted to jump on. Uh, and, you know, kind of the idea for the artwork um you know i think that we wanted to focus on a little bit of the lone wolf attitude i know like me especially like for me that's a little symbolic at this point because um i'm kind of you know for more or less i'm kind of the last man standing as far as the original lineup goes uh, doesn't mean i don't have any i don't have love and respect for my, my current bandmates i know that i don't think that we would be doing what we're doing today honestly if it wasn't for aaron pushing me so hard at the end of 2018 when things kind of fell apart um, but we wanted to go for something that was a little ethereal we wanted to go for something that was a little mystical uh, you know we kind of have our own mascot we call her sally she's the witch that's shown up on our last two records and she's on the back of this album um, and so we wanted to still include her in our artwork. Um, cause again, that's kind of part of who, what grave shadow is at this point, but we also wanted, I think the album cover to be representative of a change in a transition. And that was kind of why we made the choice to put her on the back of the record, um, instead of the front of the record this time around. But when we do record number four, she's going to be back to being front and center for sure. Now, just the name, the uncertain hour, how does that I guess how does the cover kind of represent the album title in general? Because maybe again, I don't, I don't kind of get the two kind of factions. So how do they kind of relate and correlate with each other? I think like so for this one, like again, wanting to try to create something a little ethereal and mystical. You know, the green that's in the uh, the green, you know, the green light that's emanating from the forest. You know, that's supposed to be like representative of something that's a little bit more, maybe a little witchy, maybe a little pagan, maybe a little just maybe a little mystical. Uh, and it's also done, you know, on a full moon, close to midnight, you know, the witching hour, if you will. Um, and I think that the correlation between the two of those was really like, you know, like, I don't know, I'm a big camper. So like if I'm out in the middle of the woods or something like that, there's a certain level of uncertainty that kind of washes over me. If I ever see something that kind of seems a little out of place, I think that was kind of part of what we were trying to accomplish with that. 
Um, I will say, though, that I feel like the title, The Uncertain Hour, more so relates to the lyrical content of the album and less probably the actual artwork itself. It doesn't mean that there was no thought that went into that. I just think that that correlation is a little stronger to the lyrics than it is the actual artwork itself. I see. So was that kind of a challenge when working with the that's the set that said artist with did you give him lyrics and he made a cover around it or no or did he just present a cover? Okay. Yeah, we, yeah. we knew what we wanted. Um I, I, I'd had this idea of uh, a cover similar to this, like uh, kind of banging around in my head for a few months, talking with Aaron about it, kind of getting his input about um, get, what he thought the record should represent as far as the cover went. Uh, so no, we, we knew like, so basically when we started the conversation with him, we kind of told him what we wanted. Um, we went back and forth with him sending us some sketches and kind of dialed it in a little bit. Like originally the wolf was black, um, but I wanted the wolf to be white because I wanted it to stand out more and contrast a little bit more with the record. Um, kind of be the thing that draws your eye. Um, so, and it was kind of a you know little a couple weeks of back and forth before we kind of gave him the green light with the last sketch that he sent us, and then he started really fleshing it out and adding all the detail. And, and what about his specific artwork made you gravitate towards him instead of any other artists out there? Did you have you worked with him before? No, hadn't worked with him before. Um, I just really appreciated. I, I love fantasy artwork. Like, and anybody who knows me knows that I'm a huge fantasy nerd. Um, and the, the style of artwork that you tend to see a lot with, uh, more fantasy centric pieces is one that I really love. Also just, I, I am a huge beast in black fan. And I, I will say that maybe it's a little bit of the fan in me that had the ability as like, Oh, I get to work with this guy. This guy gets to put, gets to do the art. I can get this guy to do the artwork for my record. That's something that I want. Um, I think that was kind of more, um, along the, uh, not the only reason why, but it was just, you know, I think that promoting nowadays your work is really hard to do. And so I think when you can kind of, I think when you, I think when you can get any kind of like recognition or any kind of attachment to somebody, to somebody else, like something, you know, there's a diehard beast and black fan out there. Who's also a really huge fan of Roman who sees that Roman's done our artwork. It's just another level of marketing. I feel like on some right. level. Don't mean it to sound don't mean it to sound all entirely, you know, cold, calculated dollars and cents or anything like that. But, you know, I think we also saw it as a way to further market the record uh, right. and get an awesome piece of artwork out of it at the same time. Sure. And, and you bring up a great point that most bands fail on, and that's marketing in general. Mm -hmm. I, I think most bands would truly benefit from hiring outside people and looking at you know, their band kind of more as a business instead of just playing music. Right. Agreed. And I'm sure it's, it's primarily in every band where you have that one guy that literally does everything. And I'm mm -hmm. sure you're kind of like that. So I don't want to put Sometimes. the rest of you, you guys is <laughs> down, but do you like to delegate certain things to your bandmates to do? Or do you kind of, are you one of these, these guys, I guess, like, uh, like myself, where you like to kind of do everything and kind of just tell, you know, let people let your your guys know hey this is what we're doing but let's kind of all do it at, at, and you know uh kind of what is it i'm looking for um i i think more well, like you know well, get well, everything together yeah, yeah delegate yeah pretty much what you want to get done or are you primarily kind of controlling that aspect so from the onset grave has always been a collaborative effort um you know creatively um from a business standpoint um, 
you know that but at the same time you know you can collaboration only goes so far especially from a business standpoint sometimes you get put into situations where you have to answer a question right then right there or that opportunity is gone um and so i think that there are certain things that i definitely do delegate out because i'm not the best at them i'll be the first one to admit i do not understand social media <laughs> um i you know even have you know i'm 32 i've grown up with it but i i just i don't get it it's a game that i don't understand um, our singer, Rachel does, um, better than probably anybody else in the band. And so, you know, over the past few weeks specifically, we've had conversations about delegating those tasks to her, um, you know, creatively speaking, um, you know, I, I write, but my writing style is different from Aaron's, you know, Aaron went to school for music. Um, he's a keyboard player and kind of, and a, you know, a composer first. Whereas I think that, you know, I kind of cut my teeth in music coming up in punk and thrash. And so, you know, I tend to focus more on like riff structure, whereas Aaron tends to look at the whole picture. So, you know, creatively, sometimes, you know, I'll flesh a song out guitar wise, start to finish. Aaron and I'll sit down, we'll write it out and then he'll take it and he'll add orchestrations to it. He'll add some leads to it. He'll, you know, put a rudimentary drum pattern in or something to that effect. Um, or sometimes I have a few riffs to get, I have, I've written a few riffs that I think really work to get work really well together, but I'm not quite sure where to take it. You know, maybe I do know where I want to take it, but it sounds like something that I wrote a couple months ago and I don't want to just keep rehashing the same thing over and over again. So I'll give it to Aaron and Aaron will do things with it that I would have never thought to do with it. And I honestly think you get better songwriting that way. I, I wholeheartedly respect kind of like what you're talking about, where you have guys, you have one guy who's doing everything, you know, business, creative, all of that, nothing but respect for people like that. Um, but in my own career, in my own journey with music, um, I think you get better material in a collaborative environment. I also think you keep your band members more invested in a collaborative environment. Um, you know, they got skin in the game at that point. It's not, they're not just playing somebody else's work. They're playing their own work too. Um, and then from a business standpoint, when people have a say, they're also more invested because they feel like they've had a part in the decision making process. Now, that doesn't mean, you know, because I will say from a business standpoint, yeah, it, it's usually me that's making most of the decisions. It doesn't mean that I always talk. I try to talk with the band as much as I possibly can get their input, what they think about it, whether they think the opportunity is worth it or not. But ultimately, somebody has to be the guy to say yes. And somebody has to be the guy to take that responsibility. And that's usually me. And in those situations, I usually operate from a ask for forgiveness, not permission. <laughs> um, and, you know, and so far it's worked out pretty well. And I don't mean to come off as insensitive or tyrannical or anything like that. It's just, you know, it's, it's kind of, you know, some of these opportunities are time sensitive. And if you're not there like that, they're going to go and they're going to go to somebody else and you're going to be left in the dust waiting for the next one. Sure. Well, you see, you're mentioning songwriting in general. And one aspect I would love to touch upon, because, again, I'm not well versed in, in yeah. kind of more symphonic metal kind of styles of, of music here. And I'm curious, like for me personally, I'm all about the riff. When I write a song and whatnot, it's all about the riff. That's kind of how I'm writing the song as it goes. It's all built upon that one riff, mm -hmm. you know. But for you guys you know, being in a more symphonic style metal band, how do you, what are kind of like the mainstays when writing a song? Definitely vocal harmony. I mean, vocal melody. Sorry about that. Uh, definitely vocal melody. I think, honestly, I think the, the song, the swordsman off of the uncertain hour is a pretty good example of that. Like, um, you know, it's, 
from a guitar standpoint, it's definitely a little bit more simplistic. Um, it definitely has some riffs in there. Um, but, and I, I don't know that I would truly call it progressive, but you know, it starts out one way it ends, it ends a little bit differently. Um, you know, there's, there's a little fix up clean guitar part there in the middle of it, but that song was always meant to be a vocally driven song. Um, and so it wasn't so much that guitar took a, took a back seat or that the orchestrations took a back seat, but the song was crafted with the idea that the main focus of it was going to be the voice. It wasn't, and, you know, really give the voice that chance to shine. Um, you know, you have other songs like, uh, you know, Soldier of 34 off of the record, um, which I think are entirely riff centric. Um, it's, you know, it, and the vocals weren't necessarily an afterthought so much as that, but it was more so about finding a way to make the vocals work with the riffage. Um, I think that for us more so, I think the way that we approach songwriting is, you know, sometimes you just have an idea, you get struck by something, you get struck by inspiration and it just kind of pours out of you. Um, other times I think that we look at it and we kind of think about like, you know, what emotion are we wanting to communicate with this song? Um, you know, are we wanting to do a really guitar heavy shreddy song or are we wanting to do something that's more vocally driven? Do we want to do something that's maybe a little slower and maybe is a little bit more melancholic or a little bit more, you know, droning? Um, I think that that's kind of the way the two lived is. All oh, the two lived is honestly one of my personal favorites off the record. Um, and I, I think it really kind of depends. And I think that, you know, we've been talking for album number four about doing a concept record. And I think that, you know, that approach is really going to be kind of what would guide the songwriting in that context, because, you know, at that point, you're not just writing songs, you're, you know, you're, you're trying to tell an overall story. And so the music and the lyrics need to match the emotion of the part of the story that you're trying to tell. And so I think that, you know, maybe focusing less entirely on the riff and more holistically on the song overall, I think is kind of what we try to do. Um, yeah. But so when obviously getting, you know, Rachel involved in, in the songwriting process, because mm -hmm. she lives kind of far from you guys, if I yeah. to put it mildly, you know, you guys are all in, in California from, yeah. as far as I know. And she's, I think mm -hmm. Ohio. Yeah, now how cool. does, how, walk me through just you know even writing a song with essentially the the, the newbie even though she's yeah. a couple you know she's been in a couple years but how did you first approach writing a song with somebody that kind of lives so far away compared to you know heather and and, and yeah and in terms of her vocal cadences how does that play a, a role in how you write the song yeah so you know the way that we kind of approached it for this record is that it would really be Aaron and I kind of workshopping the songs together. Um, you know, whether it's me that was the primary writer or Aaron was the primary writer, there's a lot of back and forth um, just between he and I um, before it would get shown to anybody else. And then we would get it to a point to where we felt confident in it. And then usually the next person that would hear it would be Rachel. Um, and she'd have an opportunity. And, you know, we would send over like, you know, sometimes it was just a guitar profile. Sometimes um, Aaron and I actually had the chance to produce like a very rough demo out of his studio that he has in his apartment. Um, you know, it kind of varied just depending on you know time. And especially since this was being written during the pandemic, like Aaron lives in San Francisco that had some of the most restrictive um, COVID, COVID restrictions. So 
um, you know, time definitely played a factor, but usually what it would be is that, you know, we'd send the demo over to Rachel. Rachel would either give us a thumbs up. This is badass. I love it. Um, or it'd be like, Oh, I think maybe it needs a little bit of work here and there. And then we'd kind of take it back. We'd flesh it out a little bit. And then what we would do is we'd ask her to, um, write lyrics to it, um, and write a, write a vocal melody for it and then send us back a demo. Um, and then we would listen to the demo do the same kind of thing, go back and forth with her a little bit. It's like, ah, eh, maybe, maybe not this phrasing in this verse, or, you know, maybe, you know, I know I'm, so I'm, I'm the son of an English teacher. I'm a stickler <laughs> um, when it comes to lyrics. Um, you know, sometimes I wouldn't like her word choice. Um, and so, you know, I remember one time it was, you know, swap out the word ugly for wretched, just because wretched hits harder than ugly does. Um, so I think it's kind of those things. It, I honestly, it, I think it's worked out pretty well. It was definitely a challenge and it's definitely a learning experience. And I think that the next time that we do something like this, it's going to go a lot smoother. Uh, but I think overall we communicate very well. Um, and I think that that really is the biggest asset as far as that was concerned. Now, how, how did Rachel actually get involved with Grave Shadow and how did you guys, how did you essentially meet her? Yeah. Um, so um, Aaron and Rachel have a mutual friend. His name's Avi Cohen. Um, and I think it was through, um, I know Aaron and Rachel both were going to 70,000 tons um, for a while there. I don't know if it was year over year. I know Aaron went, Aaron went like four or five times in a row. Um, but they had this mutual friend, Avi. And Aaron was talking to Avi um, when we were starting to talk about the idea of putting Grave Shadow back together and continuing to try to do something with it. Um, and Aaron asked him if he knew any singers and he said, yeah, I do. I know Rachel. Um, so Avi linked Aaron and Rachel up um, and they had a couple conversations. Um, Aaron kind of felt her out a little bit, told me what he thought felt about her. And he said, I asked her to send us over some, some tracks that she sang on. And um, he sent them over to me. I listened to about 30 seconds of the first one um, before I hung up the phone and I called, I mean, before I paused it, and I called Aaron and I said, I don't care what you have to do, get her. Um, and then we set up a more formal meeting between the three of us, kind of talked about what the band was trying to accomplish, where the band wanted to go. Um, she was on board for it. Um, and so it just really, it was a really natural fit. I think we, we did ask her to um, record her own version of Hero of Time. Um, and um, we did ask her to record her own version of Hero of Time and then send that over to us. Now, essentially to with, I guess, what am I saying? So her, I mean, she could literally play in any band. She, she's yeah. that good. You know? but, but how long was this gap in between kind of Heather leaving and, <laughs> and Rachel coming in? About two years. Oh, okay. So you had been searching for, for a while. Yeah, it was about two years. Wow. Uh, and um, the, so things kind of fizzled at the end of 2018. Um, I honestly went into a bit of a depressive rut after that happened. And not just because the band fell apart. There were a lot of things that happened in my life around that time. My ex and I separated. I had to move out of the house that I had bought with her. Uh, I was working in the cannabis industry for a number of years. And the grow that I was working for at that time outsourced my job. <laughs> um, so it was kind of like a one, two, three punch. And um, Aaron and I were writing um, and he was kind of dragging me along with him a little bit. Like I said, I, I was not in a very good headspace. Um, but when I heard Rachel's audition, it was, you know, it was kind of like the fog lifting. 
like the way that I would say is like, you know, we got the band back on track. Um, and then, um, we got the band back on track and then kind of everything else in my life kind of started to fall in place too. Now let's venture to another element and, and the single itself. I, I'm just kind of curious, kind of what made you guys, you know, decide upon soldier uh, of 34 and, and when deciding on a, a single in general, what are the elements that you specifically are kind of looking for and, and how you want the single to represent the album? If that makes sense yeah um so soldier was primarily chosen because it was the first song um that aaron and i really truly collaborated on together um and so for us we felt like it was important to put something out that was kind of representative of this new writing dynamic and this new writing partnership uh, not that he and i hadn't written together before but just you know when he came in uh, for ambitions price our second record he only contributed two songs because most of the record was already written by the time he had joined uh, so I, I think we, we chose that one primarily for that reason. Um, also we wanted something that was going to showcase the growls because something that we got when we put Wimblight out about a year prior, um, we saw a lot of people responding, where's the growls, where's the growls, why are there no growls? And so we also wanted to choose a song that we felt was musically strong, but was also vocally strong and something that was going to actually showcase, um, you know, the whole the whole band and you know all the feedback that we had been getting from fans up until that point we didn't write the song to address that feedback it just happened to be that that song was like you know we got all these people asking about growls this is a really strong growl song you know this is the first song you and i have written together like since really deciding to write a third record i think this needs to be the one that goes that go that gets put out as far as like overall choosing a single i don't know it's tough i don't know that i necessarily have certain criteria that a song needs to meet for me to want to release it as a single. I think for me, it's the songs I like. Um, like it's, um, it, it's the songs that I personally feel are really strong. And sometimes I'm right. And sometimes I'm wrong. I think every single time we put a record out, there's been a reviewer that has said, I don't understand why this is the song they're leading with. And I'm like, ah, oh, I don't know, man, I'm sorry. <laughs> like, um, yeah. Well, I, I think, well is yeah. Is there a part of it too where where it's like, what are the songs that I kind of want to be playing for the rest of my life? Because essentially, a single could do that to a band. Yeah, <laughs> you know, you know so. what I mean. It's like, <laughs> so does that I play any part any part in it too? I think so. Definitely with Soldier, I would say that one's a really fun one to play. Um, I, I really like the riffs in that one. The harmonies and the leads are also really fun to play, um, and I think that that one is. Um, I think that that one, I think that one just has a lot of variation in the guitar going on in it. You know, it starts off really riff heavy, goes into these like harmony sections. It's got a pretty ripping solo in it. Um, Rachel sounds amazing. Um, it's a chance to showcase Aaron and what he's doing now is uh, handling growls and everything like that. I, I think there's some of that that went into it probably maybe subconsciously, I'm not going to sit here and say I made those conscious decisions, but definitely subconsciously I could see that. <laughs> Now, with your style of music in general, I would almost say it pertains more towards European metal fans compared to, say, North, North America kind of metal fans. So I'm curious overall how the response has been for the Uncertain Hour overseas compared to the North American region. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we've gotten a few reviews in so far. Um, we got a couple out of Australia, one out of Germany. Um, one I read this morning that hated it. <laughs> it was the first
first thing I read this morning. Did not like it at all. Um, I think that one was an American publication. I could be wrong. Um, so, but you know, the Australian review and the German review, um, I think were overall really positive. Um, you know, they, they complimented us as musicians, you know, called us a very talented group, um, said that there were, you know, called it highlighted certain songs on the album, like the betrayer and shadow battles have been getting a lot of love in the reviews so far. Um, and you know, both of them ended with, you know, both of them basically ended with, you know, it's a lot of talent and a lot of potential and they've grown from where they were. And if they grow just a little bit more, I see big things for this group. Um, and I think that's fair. If I'm going to be honest, I do. I think that's fair. Like in some ways, this record almost feels like a first record again because it's a new lineup. Um, I do still think that the sound of the band has followed the natural evolutionary path that it was already on. You know, the last three songs that got written for the second record, Ambitions Price, um, War Chief, Eden Ablaze, and um, Hero of Time, were all going down a more power traditional route. Um, and some of the tunes on the Uncertain Hour, like Sea of Apparitions, Vengeance of Envy, and honestly, Soldier of 34, um, those all started to be written, those were all starting to be written like very shortly after Ambition's Price was released. Um, and that was already where we were going. And so when Aaron and I started talking about really writing a third record, it was really about doubling down on that path. And because that was where we wanted to go anyway. Um, that's where mine and Aaron's, you know, heart really kind of lies anyway, as it is. Um, so uh, overall, I think it's been good. I agree with you. I, I think we need to get over to Europe. Um, it's not that the American audiences haven't been great. They have been great. They've been, uh, you know, and what's been really cool to see is, you know, we've gotten a chance to tour with a fairly diverse, uh, you know, group of musicians. You know, one of our first, our first two tours were with Anvil. Um, and the first one was a split between Anvil and Unleash the Archers. Um, and Unleash the Archers was probably a little bit more of a comparable pairing than the than Anvil was. You know, Anvil's straight up traditional heavy metal. And they, those are great guys. And they, I love those guys. And those tours were amazing experiences. Um, but what I what the, one of the big takeaways for me from that is that you could put us in front of a traditional metal crowd and we're still going to sell merch. And, you know, we're still going to get people who are interested in the band. And we're going to get people who want to add us on Facebook and who want to communicate with us and who want to create these actual like friendships with us. Um, and it was the same thing when we, you know, when we went out and toured with Serenia and Arcona, that was probably, I would say the first tour that we did where we were like, where the package made sense from top to bottom. Like, um, we were with a symphonic metal band. We were with a melodic pagan metal band, you know, here we are doing our kind of like, you know, our, our symphonic thing here as well. And it all, all worked. And those shows were amazing too. It was the same thing when we did the second run with Serenia and it was Serenia and Threat Signal that we were with. It was... So I think like what I've learned is that it really doesn't matter who you put us in front of. It's like we op we've also opened for Children of Bodom before. Um, and I was nervous about that show. I was like, because I was during our first record. And I was like, I don't even know if the crowd's going to like us. Like, but they did. They loved it. Like, you know, we cleaned up that night and we made a lot of really good friends that night. We got a lot of really good press um, in the local mood, in the local papers and stuff like that from when, when we did that gig. Um, so for me, you know, we've always been a live band and it's always been, I think, more our focus to put on a good show um, and do our best to play the best that we possibly can. But, you know, I, you know, I think I may have mentioned earlier, you know, I cut my teeth in punk before I got into metal. 
And that was always my ethos back then too, is I'm going to put on the best show that I possibly can. And if I flub a chord, it doesn't matter because people aren't going to remember that. They're going to remember the fact that they saw a really killer show. Sure. Um, and, um, you know, that doesn't mean that I, that we don't strive to be as technically proficient as we can, but that's another thing that I think a lot of bands get caught up on and kind of like shoot themselves in the foot before they've even had an opportunity is they're so focused on being perfect that if you just go out there and play, you're going to find people that want to hear you and you're going to find people that want to support you. And if you can capitalize on that and just keep increasing that, increasing your show and your live presence over and over and over while also increasing the quality of your music, you know, Sky's the limit, as far as I'm concerned. Now, I, there are two aspects I want to touch upon before we get out of here. And, and one is the touring uh, aspect. And you guys are currently on tour at, at this moment um, mm -hmm. with, with Vintercy, if I'm pronouncing the band name properly. Yeah, you got it. You got it right. <laughs> um, but I'm curious. I mean, this is only you're only doing like 10 or so dates. Now, would you want to do like a three month long tour at a, at a time or just to you know get the opportunity to go tour the rest of the world and see what it is what the yeah. reaction is going to be is that a goal for this absolutely. or is, is that doable it's it's absolutely the goal and it's a hundred percent the goal like you know in 2018 we we opened up for taria tarunin um you know former nightwish singer down in um, juarez mexico and that was a theater hall um an amazing night um we had a few mishaps happen with sound that happened throughout that but we still received like such an outpouring of love and support like we were playing el paso later in that week and about six or seven people crossed the border to see us again um so i think that we've already gotten a little bit of a taste of what it would be like to be out in these other markets and the response was overwhelmingly positive um so to answer your question yes um, you know, if we were, if we did have the opportunity to, um, to be out for three months and do something like you're going to hit North America, then you're going to bop over to Europe and then you're going to bop down to South America. Um, uh, we would do that if the opportunity was right. Um, I think that I don't have a problem. So, you know, I don't necessarily have a problem with the concept of buy-ons because I understand why they're there. You know, touring is expensive, even for larger acts. Um, and it only makes sense to try to mitigate your costs as much as you possibly can. Um, but that being said, I'm not necessarily going to pay a buy-on for to open for anyone. It's like, you know, if I'm going to pay a buy-on, I want to make sure that that package is going to be good for us. I want to make sure that there's this, at least a minimum number of shows that are going to be on it. Um, and that, you know, and also just an idea for like how many people are going to be there um, on average every night. You know, am I going to be playing to 30 people every night or am I going to be playing to hundreds? Am I possibly going to be playing to thousands? You know, those smaller crowds you can still make money off of. But, you know, for just, you know, this is kind of a number off the top of my head that we've been asked for before. But if I'm going to be $10,000 in the hole before I've even put a merch order in, before I've even coordinated my travel expenses, before I've even done anything like that, you know, there better be at least a thousand people in front of me every night. <laughs> like um, it's because the, how else am I going to be able to even break even, you know, let alone talk about actually making profit. Um, but at the same time, I believe in putting in your dues. It's like, you know, the right European tour, I would pay that in a heartbeat because I think that that would open up the door for us to be able to do it again and to be able to do it on a larger scale. Uh, Touring is the ultimate goal always has been um, for, for this band. Um, I think that just where we're at now, you know, most of us being in our late 20s to early 30s, as opposed to being in, you know, our early 20s and or late teens or anything like that, there are unfortunate, you know, 
you get old and you got to pay bills and life sucks. <laughs> um, so I think that um, I think we definitely have a mind for that. Um, but it, I don't think that it's dampened our resolve or our ambition in the slightest. It's just, you know, we've had some experience now and now we want to be a little bit smarter about it. Now, is that doable, though, considering you just mentioned jobs, you just mm -hmm. mentioned, you know, real life stuff and being in a band, especially in your 30s at this point, is that doable to do a three to four to five to six month long tours cycles? I think it is. Um, again, I think it boils down to the opportunity. You know, like one of the things that's 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 nice is that just about everybody in the band has a job that's friendly um, to touring. You know, I manage a school of rock. Um, Rachel is a vocal instructor at a school of rock was managing one up until recently. Um, she also has, um, she does, uh, like she just worked merch for rage against the machine in Wisconsin. Um, that's what her partner does primarily is he goes either go, he's either going out on tour running merch for bands or he's doing these one-off gigs and he makes pretty damn good money. Um, so does she, from what she's been doing. Like, I know she, like a couple weeks ago, she worked this like week long EDM fest and made a decent, a decent chunk of change for just one week of work. Um, you know, Aaron's a massage therapist and a fit and a personal trainer. So, you know, his business is client based. Um, Lucy works at a guitar center um, and Bones. I'm not sure what Bones does, but um, I know he's the one that's got the most restrictive work schedule out of all of us. Um, but for the most part, we all have jobs that would allow us to leave and come back. Gotcha. And, you know, the other thing that I would say to that, too, is that you only live once. And if I've got an opportunity to support one of my, you know, a band that I've looked up to my entire life and career, who's influenced me as a musician and who's influenced me just in my general life, if I have the opportunity to share something like being on the road for three months, going across different countries on different continents, uh, you know, 60 year old me would shoot me in the head for saying no. Like, and not to be violent, that's probably not the best joke to make, um, you know, given the backdrop of what's been going on in our country over the past, like over the past several years. So, you know, forgive me. It's not like I don't I don't take gun violence lightly, <laughs> um, but it's, um, you know, that's an opportunity. You know, one, you know, I don't think that you can truly live a life with no regrets. I think somebody is I think there's always going to be a decision that you've made as an individual that at some point in time in your life, you'll probably come to regret for one reason or another. But I know that I told myself when I decided that I was really going to give music a shot, that I wanted as little regret as I possibly could. And, you know, stepping away from something for three or four months and maybe putting yourself into a little bit of a dire situation financially for a period of time. But to have that memory, to have that experience um, and to be able to share those stories with, you know, family, possible children, friends, or like in my line of work right now, to be able to look a kid who wants nothing more than to be in a band and go out and tour that I've done it and let me tell you all about it and watch their eyes light up and use that as inspiration for their own musical career. I, I, I'll take that any day of the week, any day of the week. I'll take that. Sure. Now, lastly, regarding this specific tour that you guys are on currently, is it going to be extended in the near future or is it just these 10 days with, with Vintercy? It's just these 10 days. That's what okay. made sense. Um, th th this time around. Um, I think that there was a, um, you know, we there, you know, to the question that we just talked about, like whether or not things like this are actually like possible. It's not that a larger tour wasn't possible. It was that we were kind of, you know, I made a comment similar in this earlier in this conversation about, you know, kind of felt like a first record again. 
And there are a lot of things that felt like firsts again. We had to buy a touring vehicle again. You know, we had to put in a fairly large merch order, not just to cover this tour, but to cover future tours, future one-offs and everything like that. So we've been in this period of investment into the band. And so from a cost perspective, this was what made the most sense um, for now. Um, gotcha. We've, um, but I mean, I've, I've already been talking with our management and our agent that I want something more. I want an actual national opportunity. There were a couple national opportunities, um, that we could have hopped onto, but just from a, from a, not even the scheduling standpoint, but just a being ready standpoint, we could have gotten them, but we would have gone out half cocked and that's not what I want to do. It's like, we wouldn't have had enough time to really truly rehearse. We wouldn't have had enough time to you know, get merch designs put together, get merch orders put in together, like all that other kind of stuff. It's like we could have made it happen from a stance of like sheer grit. But I think that's another thing that and I'm sure it's like this for other bands. But, you know, sometimes it feels like we're always doing things by the skin of our teeth and the seat of our pants. And it would be nice to be able to make these decisions more from a controlled position of power, for lack of a better term, sure. like than just kind of jumping at anything that comes across our desk. Sure. Well, the log logistically, it has to make sense, though, too. Yeah, totally. So, but uh, lastly, where can people get the Uncertain Hour uh, from you guys? And I, I personally think it's a great record. Thank like you. I said, I'm not well-versed in, in melodic-style mm -hmm. heavy metals, like, like symphonic metal, per se, but I got a lot of enjoyment out of it. I've listened to it a couple times now, which... Uh, Again, I, I think people will really dig this. Even in from uh even if you're into like bands like I would say kind of Epica or 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 Nightwish mm -hmm. or Ever Evalescence, I would even put that in there just from the female vocals perspective, right? But I think overall this is a great record. And where can people find it? Yeah. Um so we're everywhere. Um I actually was just like casually Google searching. Apparently you can buy it at Best Buy and Barnes and Noble. <laughs> um so um, you can get it kind of anywhere that you get your music. It's on Spotify. It's on Pandora. It's on all the major streaming platforms. Um, you can order them directly from us through our band camp. Um, you can also order them through our label and theory audio, um, or you can pick it up from us at a show. Um, you know, it, like I say, it is our plan to be aggressive with touring. We really want to get out to the East coast and kind of the Midwest next year. Um, some markets that we had a lot of fun in when we were touring a little bit more heavily prior to 2018. And it's definitely places that we want to get back to. Um, and yeah, I think, though, I think that kind of like covers it, but I mean, shoot, I think even seasons of mist is carrying it. I think I saw it on their store recently. Like it's uh, wherever you get your music, you can probably find it. I love it. Well, William, I, like I said, I appreciate a moment of your time and coming on and hanging and help me promote this, uh, you know, the uncertain hour. And uh, for another episode of Poppets Corner, guys, we're out of here. Thank Cheers. You.